The Hammer, Chapter 22 Jorid led Corvin through a maze of tunnels and out a concealed door into the empty streets. Where are all the people? Corvin whispered. Jorid glanced over his shoulder. As I told you, the palace has sent most of the population out to harvest food in the settlements. It is the only place left that we can grow our crops. Wisps of fog snaked across the cobblestones, and Corvin noticed Jorid went out of his way to avoid touching them. Is the fog poisonous? he asked the priest. No, Jorid replied as he skirted another patch. But when you live in the core, you learn to avoid the water at all costs. It is the harbinger of all things evil. I used to be afraid of the water until I learned to swim, Corvin bragged, hoping the young man would think more highly of him. Swim? Jorid studied him. Corvin was glad for the hood to hide his blushing face. Well, I really sort of dog paddle, but I can jump into water that's over my head. Jorid stopped short and grabbed Corvin's arm. Never make jokes about the water. The only ones who jump into the water are those who practice sorcery or those who wish to die. He squinted into the recesses of Corvin's hood. He was about to say more, but apparently thought better of it and turned away. They walked in silence toward the central plaza. As they neared the gatehouse, George swiveled around and motioned for him to stay quiet. There was no need, for the guard saw them coming and opened the gate. Priests, he snarled as they passed by. What a waste of Lumian light. George ignored the guard and marched straight ahead. The gate clanged shut behind them. As they crossed to the right side of the plaza, Corvin could see that the statue in the middle was actually of a man, a woman, and a young child, their hands raised toward the ceiling of the cave. It had looked different in the dark because the woman's head was broken off, the unblinking eyes staring at him from the muddy water of what was once probably a fountain. Leaving the statue behind, they turned up a street across from where Corvin had entered the night before, the street Kate had vanished into. He was thankful that Rayu had found her and hidden her away. Tirith is the only girl I have seen, Corvin said. Are all the women working in the settlements? No. Jorid put a lot of anger into that one word. Since the rise of the Watchers, many females who come of age are taken to the palace. Some are lost at the wasting to appease the new gods. We don't know what happens to the rest of them. His pace slowed. It is a curse to bear a child these days. Even young boys are forced to become soldiers for the palace. He looked up. It may be a blessing that as the Lumians have faded, fewer children have been born. Corvin wanted to ask more questions, but the young priest squared his shoulders and walked away so fast Corvin had to jog to keep up with him. They left the main road and took to narrow back alleys clogged with rubble from the crumbling buildings. In the early light, it was even clearer that this side of the once great city was now an expansive ruin. The thick stench of decay floated in the air. The cobblestones of the alley were slimy with green and black mold. George stopped where the alley came out to a wider road. He listened for a moment, then turned right. Jorid, Corvin whispered as he followed, does anyone live on this side? Most of the remaining citizens of the city live inside the walls and close to the palace for protection. He glanced down a side street. Some live in these ruins. We call them the broken. Why? He stopped and faced Corvin. They lost their minds in the anarchy that followed the rise of the Watchers. Now they live here like wild animals. Corvin cast a glance over the ruins. The deep shadows and rubble could provide ample hiding places for an ambush. Are they dangerous? Some say they practice abomination and eat flesh. The Chief Watcher uses that rumor as an excuse to hunt them down. 
but lately the broken have fought back and killed some of the soldiers. Now none of the palace guards come to this side except under direct orders. A rock tumbled off a heap of stones behind them. Corvin looked nervously over his shoulder. Jorid frowned. You shouldn't be afraid. A Corvan does not give in to fear. Do you think you should call me that? Someone might hear you. <laughs> Is there another name I should use? Um, my mother called me Kalian. Jorid snorted. If you wish to use a child's name, that is fine with me. Kalian, you shall be until you earn your title. He turned on his heel and headed up the wide street. Corvin lowered his gaze to the ground and followed behind the priest as he navigated the debris-clogged street. When George stopped short, he walked right into him. Watch where you're going, the priest snapped and turned to one side, leaving Corvin standing before an ornate gate set into a high stone wall. The lock was rusted shut but off to one side was a smaller opening, its metal door twisted off its hinges. Corvin stepped up to the main gate and looked inside. Beyond the corroded bars was a miniature replica of the city they had just walked through, each of the buildings meticulously recreated in white stone. A wide boulevard of smooth cobblestones headed up the center. Towering over it all were the grey mountains he'd seen from the entry. What is this place? George stooped to examine the broken door. It is the city of the dead. That is why it has been spared destruction by vandals, until now. Someone has broken down the door the priests use. As George stepped over the threshold, the commanding voice called out, You, there, stop in the name of the Watcher. George pulled his hood low over his eyes. Keep your head down and let me do the talking. Corvin stole a quick glance as he turned around. Three soldiers emerged from the wide road heading toward the gate. Two carried a body on a litter. Their hoods were thrown back and sweat glistened on their flushed faces. The third, an older officer in a hoodless black tunic, spoke as he approached. What are you doing out here, priest? George spoke in a disguised voice. Oh, this man has a loved one who is kept here. It is important for him to pay a vow to come and see her. The older man grunted. Love, eh? Precious little of that these days. He stepped into the doorway. Was this door torn down when you were here last? Ah, uh, no, Jordan replied. This has been done recently. I thought as much. There has been many new events these strange days. The rebels have a new leader and have been raiding tombs for weapons and valuables. I will need to report this to the palace. He waved them toward the open door. Carry on. Jordan nodded and turned to guide Corvin through the doorway. The younger of the two soldiers spoke. Captain, this body is heavy. Can these two help us get him stowed away? The captain nodded and turned to Jord. Before fulfilling your vow, you will need to help us carry this body to its final resting place. The soldiers placed the litter on the ground, and the young one groaned as he straightened. Can we rest a minute? My back is killing me. The captain shrugged, and the young soldier sank wearily to the ground. You young ones just don't have what it takes. The young soldier curled his lip. I'm tired of hearing about the glory days of old. I don't care that you had food to eat, a home to live in, a woman who loved you. We have none of those things, so I think we are the ones who are tough. Would you like me to lodge a complaint about conditions in the barracks, Private? The frown left the soldier's face. No, sir. I don't blame the palace for what has happened to our world. If anything, it's the fault of the priests. He spat the final word in George's direction. The captain looked to Jord for a response. He gave none. 
The soldier pointed a dirty finger at Jorid. The rebellion wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for all the rules you priests heaped on us. If you had allowed people to eat a few seeds or enjoy a few other pleasures, their anger would not have spilled over to where they consumed every seed they could get their hands on. With all the men fighting over food and women, the palace had no choice but to take over. Things may not be great now, but at least we're alive. Sure, you're alive, George said, his disguised voice thick with disgust. But how many die at the wasting and in the settlements? The young soldier jumped to his feet and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jorid. If the chief watcher believes a man is a threat to our society, why not let the water judge him? Jorid stepped back and turned to one side. And what about the women and the children who are taken to the palace? The soldier shrugged. The palace keeps the rebellion in check, and that makes all of our lives easier. What do I care about the children of the rebels? The officer pointed at the young man. That's the problem. Everyone wants an easy life, so we do whatever we are told to get it. At times I wonder how long a civilization this selfish can survive. The older of the two soldiers, who had been silent during this exchange, finally spoke. I still remember the days when our city was full of light, and Lumians hung over every doorway. But now our light grows dimmer every day. He glanced at Jorid. But if we abandon hope... What reason is there to keep living? Tell us, priest, is there hope for a brighter future? The angry young man pointed at Jord. Why ask him? All the priests do is offer false hope to control people for their own advantage. The priests can go into the water. I hope they drown them all at the dedication of the new temple. That's enough, the captain barked. We have a job to do. He pointed to Jord and Corvin. You two bring the body and follow along. The soldiers moved through the broken door. Corvin stooped to grab the poles. His hand snagged a burial shroud and pulled it off to one side. He looked down into the ashen face of Morgan. <laughs> 